Is there anything you would have done differently? We reported a true story. Our colleague Brian Williams is back in Kuwait City tonight after a close call on the skies over Iraq. Controversial Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh and questions about Kavanaugh's drinking in the past. Sean Hannity, come on up, Sean Hannity. Today, Andrew Cuomo is having a moment. Hi there, I'm Chris Steyerwalt. And I'm Eliana Johnson. Welcome to Ink Stained Wretches, El Retchos to its Friends, where we break down what's going wrong and what's going right with the American news media. Eliana Johnson, I got to tell you, the happenstancical facial hair of the young men of America right now, I, I'm I'm at a loss. So just the the loose, random aggregations of scruffy facial hair. Look, you want a beard, you want a goatee, you want a mustache, you want lamb chop, sideburns. Do whatever you want to do. I Everybody ought to do what they want to do. I want you to talk to the women of America about not tolerating. About incentivizing proper. Just groom it. Do something with it. It can't just be just a, pa- a cl- random clumps of facial hair. I, I can't grow. If I could grow like a... Ulysses S. Grant, if I could like, oh, if I could grow James Garfield's beard, I would totally rock a Civil War general on the good side beard. I would definitely do that. But I can't. I can grow a wispy disaster. So I don't. If you can't grow a beard, don't just walk around. Tell the women, don't accept in the men patchy facial hair. I'll do my best to get that message out. Get the word out among your sisters. Tell them. Don't tolerate. Okay. 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 Has Patrick ever had facial hair? Yes, I'm I'm a fan. But it I see him as a potential like looking good, looking learned and sophisticated. I'm a fan. Okay. He's not as much of a fan. Does so. he go beard? Does he go goatee? What's he do? It's like just a little unshaven. Oh, a stubble. A stubble. Oh, okay. And that works well for the gingers. They get a nice stubble. Yes. There you go. Okay. Nate looking at, looking looking at you, on, Nate Moore. Yes, looking at you. His head. Bring bring the summer stubble. The, nodding the his internet head. demands it. All right. Is it front page time? Do it. We have the ruling that came down yesterday mm-hmm. from a Louisiana judge, Fifth Circuit, I believe. And Bloomberg writes, the Biden administration has now appealed this ruling. Biden appeal opens a new front in battle over Internet speech. So this is a lawsuit that was brought by two Republican states attorneys general over the Biden administration's partnership or coercion of its alleged social media companies to restrict speech on their platforms. And they have charged that because the government was involved, it was a violation of the First Amendment. And this Fifth Circuit judge, let me make sure it was the Fifth Circuit. Well, he's a, I think he's a district judge. District court judge, yeah. right. Sorry. A district court judge in Louisiana, excuse me, put down a sweeping nationwide injunction barring Biden administration officials from contacting social media companies in most cases. So that's big. And the Biden administration has now appealed that injunction. So it's a major it's a major ruling have have you ever in your storied journalistic career ever had a conversation off the record with a government official about what you were going to write 
in which you came to terms about what you would and would not write? I did. There was one case involving like sort of national security type stuff where we came to terms about what details would and would not be included pertaining to the particular issue. Right. And this is something I've dealt with on national security stuff. It's also stu- things that I've dealt with on criminal investigations. You and and by the way, just for to to pull back the curtain a little bit on the process, the this is where you get a get and you take it to the agency or the whatever and you say, "Haha, I have this." And they're like, "Oh my gosh, if you report that X Y and Z is going to happen." And you say, well, maybe I don't care. What are you going to give me not to do it? And then you use it to pry more stuff out of it. I only bring that up because this story is in the it, the, the significance of this is that in the Twitter files, which we discussed here uh, at length, there's all of these instances of the federal government starting in 2020 leaning on social media platforms to include information, to exclude information, to to label information as false around the pandemic, right? And there's a very uncomfortably chummy relationship that is evinced between health officials, and this is also true around foreign interference in the elections. So you have all of this stuff. So Republicans say, this is outrageous. Also, to suspend individuals right. from their platforms in, in order to silence them on those platforms. So what the government did was wrong and what the social media companies did was wrong because that's not the kind of... So it's one thing if, like most things, this is these are prudential questions. Are there times where somebody has to say to somebody at a social media platform, hey, you should just flagging for you what this is? You should know that that's what this is. And that's okay, but it shouldn't be this sort of cozy relationship where it seems like the federal government is pressuring these outlets to do this or not do this at at this great length. I still don't see how this judge's decision stands up. So the judge says, and I want to get to the New York Times' coverage of this, the judge says, when the government is so involved itself in the private party's conduct, and in this case that's of the social media companies. It cannot claim the conduct occurred as a result of private choice, even if the private party would have acted independently. Oral or written statements made by public officials could give rise to a valid First Amendment claim where the comments of a government official can reasonably be interpreted as as intimating that some form of punishment or adverse regulatory action will follow the failure to accede to the official's request. And he cites a bunch of, you know, rude emails from White House officials to Facebook and others, or I guess it's meta now, surrounding the pandemic. Anyhow, I was, the media coverage of this is interesting, particularly that of the New York Times. One would think, one would think these people would err on the side of free speech, First Amendment, and all of that. So the New York Times coverage of this is, ruling puts social media at crossroads of disinformation and free speech. And um, they write, The final outcome could shape the future of First Amendment law in a rapidly changing media environment and alter how far the government can go in trying to prevent the spread of potentially dangerous information. So they take for granted that the information was actually potentially dangerous, particularly in an election or during emergencies like a pandemic. The government's actions at the heart of the case were intended largely as public health measures, which is 
hilarious. They don't contextualize it at all by saying, like, they may have had good intentions, but actually they, they erred were and they in were many wrong. Cases, yes. Okay. So then they say, but Tuesday's order instead viewed the issue through the filter of a partisan culture wars, asking whether the government violated the First Amendment by unlawfully threatening the social media companies to censor speech that Mr. Biden's administration found distasteful and potentially harmful to the public. In no place does this article point out that the government and in many cases other that social media companies at the government's urging in the case of Hunter Biden's laptop, which is an issue in this case as, as well, were acting completely politically. They say, no, the judge is looking at this through a political filter instead of the government, you know, was acting through a political filter because, you know, at the Biden at Biden's behest, basically, to push out of the public discourse things that would help the president and had the social media co- companies do it. It's it's kind of amazing. And they always say, oh, Republicans are doing it this way, as opposed to saying. This is a political debate. Democrats argue X and Republicans argue Y because they just take for granted the Democratic position. Well, the the concerns about misinformation and disinformation are held by both the left and the right. And we hear it from both sides. They're just upset about different. They tend to be upset about different things. The and I want to read to you a statement from who I think is the best on this issue, on, on these tech issues. It's Jessica Malugin of the Competitive Enterprise Institute. She's great. This decision will surely be appealed by the Biden administration, but it marks an important step in drawing, in drawing a line, delineating what is acceptable communication between government and social media companies and what is unconstitutional coercion that limits the free speech rights of those companies and their users. So I, I, I obviously concur, but the... I, I will say this judge's read it, ruling reads a little goofy ah, and he got a little carried away maybe in it, but this is the beginning of that process. And I think what we come away with or what I come away with is policing speech is not a good idea. Trying to police speech, the government shouldn't try to police speech. This judge should not try to police the speech of these agencies more you just have to let it go and people have to learn and people have to figure it out the other thing that i wanted to point out is in this new york times article they quote a couple of people who are very critical of the judge's decision they quote nobody who is critical of what the government did well when i talk to democrats about around these issues the attitude about disinformation and misinformation persists that this is a curable entity. So have you joined, what's it called? The new app? Threads. Have you joined Threads? No, I haven't. I started my Threads account, which I have not posted on. And unlike Twitter, where I we have a great Twitter wrangler to wrangle tweets for me. And I do picture him in a cowboy hat with a lasso, riding them down on the open plains. But I have not tweet. I have not, thre- what do you say? Would you say threaded? Yeah. I've not threaded yet. I have not yet threaded, but they will face these same questions very quickly because as people flee Twitter and they say, oh, it's a hellscape and I'm I'm leaving, I'm leaving. These same problems will occur at Meta's new platform threads. It's the same questions. How do you police speech and how do you determine what's in and what's out? Some stuff is really obvious. We know that you don't want to have hate speech, you know, violent speech. You don't want porno. You don't want that stuff. And then after that, once you've taken care of the easy stuff, 
the last 10% gets really, really hard. All Will, right. Oh, and I want, I put this in here because I want, I want to know what you think. Will Mark Zuckerberg fight Elon Musk? Oh, this is like in my giant bucket of don't care. I know you always have a big don't care bucket, but do you, th- what do you think it will no, actually happen? No. You say no. Colin said yes. You say, you say no, it won't actually happen. Jay, what do you say? Yes. Nate said, I'm with Jay. I think that they'll do something. It will be super lame. It will be a super lame, but I think they'll do something and they'll say it was for charity. And Elon Musk will be tripping on ayahuasca the whole time. So it'll be super weird. Okay. What else is going on? Is there anything in the news about cocaine? Coke in the White House. Dun, 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 dun. This is, this, the, after the submarine. So strange. After the submarine crash, wreck, whatever, the summer news cycle needed another airy, meaningless story. And cocaine at the White House was the answer. Donald Trump suggests it was Hunter Biden ripping rails in the reading area. I mean, if area. I had to hazard a guess. Yes. I might hazard that guess. You um, don't think Hunter Biden, if he... If, I might have to hazard that guess. If he was relapsing, do you think he would be down in the visitor's section with... That's, I would precisely su- suspect him to be in a weird and random part of the White House if you he think? was relapsing. You, yes. I, I, yeah, I, I feel confident. I feel 50% confident that this is, the, this is the work of a bro, that a bro was invited to the White House to... Check out the sweet Oval Office. And he had some cocaine in his pocket. And when he took his phone out, the little baggie of cocaine stuck to his phone. Have you seen the video of where the girl is taking a picture at a wedding? She gives somebody her phone to take a picture at a wedding. And a baggie of cocaine has static electricity to the back of the phone. And <laughs> she can't see it. The girl, the girl can't see it because she's being photographed. But the girl who's taking the picture can't see it. Mwah. So I, I would think that this is a that it's that situation. But you think it could be Hunter Biden? Of course it could be Hunter Biden. I mean, I guess it could be. It seems like that would be a weird of course it could be Hunter Biden. Weird choice. Well, according to a quote law enforcement source This, this piece was so amazing. We'll never know. Says yes. says so Politico, one... Politico runs a piece and it's it's so strange. It's like you can feel you can feel the the so Hunter Biden I'm backing way up. Hunter Biden, ahead of the 2020 election, he agreed to this $20,000 a month payment to, like, you know, try to clean up his life and wait. You get you're skipping order. Don't skip. Don't don't skip this. No, no, I'm not skipping it. Oh, okay. I, so, and you can feel him trying to do that also ahead of 2024, where he he reached an agreement with this woman, so his messy custody battle wouldn't wouldn't play out. And now the cocaine is found in the White House and of course and and he's in the White House and like of course people's heads turn to him. So, Politico runs the story. White House cocaine culprit unlikely to be found. Colon, law enforcement official. Lines may have been snorted and crossed, but it's possible we won't know by whom. Okay? This is like, you know, anonymous and it's based on one law enforcement official. Chris and I were joking that it's probably the culprit. The law enforcement official is the culprit. Right, exactly. Exa- law enforcement officials confirmed on Wednesday that cocaine was found at the White House, but one official familiar with the investigation cautioned that the source of the drug was unlikely to be determined, given that it was discovered in a highly trafficked area of the West Wing. 
Yeah, we'll never know, says a, says a law enforcement official wiping white powder yes. from his I don't know. We'll just we'll probably never find out. And what certainly there may be. I, I think it's very unlikely that it's Hunter Biden's. But the idea that you would just say there's no way to know. And there's the no quote, way that we can find out. The quote is so good. Even if there were surveillance cameras, unless you were waving it around, it may not have been caught by the cameras, added the official who spoke on condition of anonymity, given that it's an ongoing investigation. It's a bit of a thoroughfare. People walk by there all the time. I could think of a few ways in that you could see who was put their stuff in that cubby. Right. You could see who took their stuff out of that you cubby. Could, you The idea that, and I, there's a person who, and I shouldn't make light of addiction. There's a person who made a series of very bad choices in their life to take cocaine into the White House, and then they drop their cocaine in the White House. And apparently it was found on, it sounds like it was found on the floor. And this person who made this decision, now we know Willie Nelson smoked a joint on the roof of the White House. I'm sure there have been drugs in the White House before. But this person who made a tragically bad decision, I picture this person reads Politico's article and is like, I'll probably never get caught. Who will be able to know? The Secret Service of the United States of America is going to give all of its resources. Every they, If they have to frame by frame, if they have to get AI to recreate the facial structure of every person who passed through there, they're going to talk to everybody and they're going to find this out because their reputation's on the line, right? Tom Cotton's already sent him a letter. Their reputation's on the line. This Politico story that was like, that imagined, and look, I don't want to, I don't want to bust their chops unfairly. This was in the early going and it was one item. But the idea that it would just be like, who knows? Crazy mix up. We'll probably never find out. Please to enjoy your cocaine this holiday uh, week. Amazing. Amazing. But wasn't there a Hunter Biden story? The New York it, Times. It the, is. It is the my two? favorite. Item. Oh, good, good, good. OK, good. I hope we'll get back to that. It is my favorite item. OK, Chris, you had several July 4th items in here. Did you, by the way, did you have a good July 4th? I had a good July 4th. Good. Did you blow anything up? No. Did you eat anything good? Yes. Okay. How about you? What'd you eat? Steak. What kind of steak? Flank. Flank steak? Is that acceptable to you? Yeah, flank steak is delicious. I did a Paso Roble style tri-tip. That sounds good. Are you familiar with tri-tip? Yes, of course. I mean, come on. So good. And it was great. Marinated it up. My homage to the West Coast, and it was delicious. Okay. In a polarized U.S., this is an an actual headline that appeared from the Associated Press on, I believe, the 4th of July, on Independence Day. In a polarized U.S., how to define a patriot increasingly depends on who's being asked. And look, I got got it. You got to, you need some content. For the holiday, you're somewhere, and this this is written by. It took three people to write this article. Gary Fields, Marjorie Beck, and Rebecca Boone published at at it was so it was preloaded. It, it published at twelve o two a.m. on July fourth. So this was loaded in like what should we set ahead for the fourth of July? I know. How about one pooping on patriotism? What if we had a piece that. That pooped on patriotism. That would be good. Today, the word and its variants have morphed beyond the original meaning. It has become infused in political rhetoric and school curriculums, curricula, with varying definitions while being appropriated by white nationalist groups. 
trying to define what a patriot is depends on who is being asked. You know who else has appropriated the word patriot? Dirtbags throughout history. I believe I heard one time that patriotism is the last refuge of the scoundrel. I have heard that this word has been misused in the past, probably by more people than white nationalist groups. This preposterous article, to publish this on the 4th of July. Take, and it's the wire service. Yeah. Take the day off from this, The AP. wire service. Take the day off on Independence Day. Do a story. How about this? Instead of talking about how patriotism has been appropriated by white nationalists, which it has, but it's also been appropriated by a bunch of people and it's been used by good people, da-da-da-da-da. And by the way, I don't want to, the article does not at, go in t- at the same length, and I may be mistaken, but I don't believe that it it does. Go in the same, so they have, I don't know, five, six, 10, 15 paragraph, 20 paragraphs in here about how right-wingers use patriotism as a cudgel. But you know what they don't talk about in this? How, if you wanted to do, don't, first of all, don't do the story. <laughs> if you do the story, do a story. If you want to talk about this, talk about how people on the left abjure patriotism and how they poop on America with articles like this on the Independence Day. Talk about how the American left, I wrote about this in my dispatch column for the day before the Independence Day. The I understand why Americans on the left are offended by, remember the picture of Donald Trump hugging and kissing the flag? Remember that picture? No. It's a famous picture. He comes out on stage and he just, like, like, it, like he does with a woman, he just he grabs it. And it's gross. And that kind of Lee Greenwood, over-the-top, super-duper, screaming eagle, patriot, MAGA 10,000X patriotism, I understand why people on the left don't want to be associated with that. I got it. But there's another problem with patriotism associated press, which is that people on the left don't have enough, that there's an insufficient amount. This is this, as you can tell, this article, publishing it when they did and how they did really cheesed me off. This was a a big mistake. You like Joy Reid's take. Well, let's let's hear. Can we can we hear? Is this is her show still called The Readout? Yes. Let's hear. Let's hear Joy Reid's take on Independence Day from the readout. Sadly, there is nothing more quintessentially American than fireworks and gun violence. Um, I have to say, I did not go out on July 4th and would not. The idea of going to a mass gathering, a parade or a big fireworks thing outside seems insane to me, to be blunt, in America, because America is awash with guns. And now people don't just have them. They seem to want to shoot people with them and use them for whatever, you know. Do you dare venture outside on the 4th of July or in a nation awash with guns? Somehow she didn't put she didn't pinpoint the part that seems insane to me. Which part is insane? Joy. Joy herself. Oh. <laughs> Would have, uh... <laughs> yes. Uh, do you think she means that? Do you think she thinks that? I don't, actually. I, I don't think she actually stayed inside on July 4th. Well, I... I, I mean... Do you? I, I, I assume she did not go to a... Oh, oh, I'm sure she didn't go to a July 4th Patriots gathering, but... Uh, Careful how you use that word. I don't think word. she actually shut herself... Shut herself in her bedroom, like, you know, behind deadbolts. I am profoundly saddened for her if that is sincere. We have a crime problem in the United States. We have a gun violence problem in the United States. That is undeniable. But you, if you are a person who has reached a point where you are not 
willing that you would you would go to a Fourth of July parade. I would not go. Well, small town. If it was a small enough town, I would go to a Fourth of July parade. But I would not go to a big gathering for reasons unrelated to to gun violence. But if you're a person who is would want to go express themselves and enjoy their country and their countrymen and countrywomen, that you would do that and say that you wouldn't because of gun violence. That seems preposterous to me. Right? This is the person who says she didn't hack her own website oh, yeah, right. and write, you know, gay bigotry on there. Okay. What's next? What do you got next? Oh, it is time for the facile files. That's right. It's time to get facile. Uh, NPR, <laughs> they draw us in with the headline and then they turn the corner. The heat is making squirrels sploot. M dash, a goofy act that signals something serious. Something serious. So, splooting is when squirrels flatten their body against the ground to cool off to to do so. And Ax oh NPR also ripping off Axios's. Speaking of being facile, here's NPR uh, NPR ripping off Axios's facile formatting. Who are they? Question mark squirrels. As climate change is making extreme heat events more common, these bright-eyed, bushy-tailed critters are splooting to cope. Splooting is a behavior some animals use to cool their body temperature. So they wanted to write about the cute pictures of squirrels flattening their bodies out. It is so it is so cute. Super cute. It's super cute. And there's in June, the National, so National Park Service, which, by the way, do you follow the National Park Service on Instagram? No. It's great. I don't know who runs their account. Wow. Okay. I don't know who runs I'm their account. Do it right now. But it's really good. I'm gonna do it right now. And they had a post which is sploot like nobody's watching of a bear splooted out, cooling off. And I would sploot if I if I felt that it was socially acceptable for me to sploot in the summer. But this goes on. The article have to do it. goes on, not sploot, but follow. You're not going to sploot. You'd never Hold sploot. On. I'm following National Park Service. What's next? NPR wants to wants you to ask. You can expect to see more splooting while extreme heat persists, but splooting can only do so much to cool squirrels down. Good to know. If a squirrel is on fire, splooting will not probably do the do the got trick. Got it. You got it. All right, following. There you go. Great. Glad glad the fast off files could do something service. for you. Yes. yes, quite so. Oh, and we also have a sports section this week. Yes, and, and one that you like, a, sport, a sports yes, item you like. Yes, because the first sports item is about hot dog eating contests. And the headline from the Washington Post is how hot dog contestants went from eating 10 to 76 hot dogs in 10 minutes. And the Post writes, notably missing from the list, a large belly among the contestants. The belly of fat theory popularized by Major League Eating, the sports organizing body, claims that heavier competitors have a restrictive layer of fatty tissue that limits stomach expansion. Who knew? Top eaters, rather, said they aim to stay fit leading up to a competition to maximize energy levels. Different foods require different approaches when preparing for a contest, eaters said. Some competitors test, quote, pure capacity, like pumpkin pie or chili, while others require practice efficiency to eat quickly, like wings or ribs. Pseudo, who set the female record of 48.5 dogs and buns in 10 minutes, Bleh. said hot dogs are the most challenging food to speed eat because they combine speed, capacity, technique, and endurance. That's why she focuses on maximizing efficiency in her eating movements when she prepares for the contest. 
So uh, good. The ideal body, according to the Washington Post, citing the advice of competitive eaters, is to have a short neck for less transit time between the mouth and the stomach, a long torso, more vertical space for food, a wide rib cage, which allows maximum stomach expansion, and a wide build. I'm three out of four, but I don't think I can do it. I don't think I could do what these people do, not even close. But it, w- it was amazing that Kobayashi, who used to be the, the stud, do you know the, the home run, the person who held the Major League Baseball home run record prior to Babe Ruth? No. They called him Home Run Baker. You know how many home runs? And Babe Ruth, for a long time, held the record for most home runs in a season with 60. Do you know how many the, the previous home run hitter hit? It's like 13. And sometimes an approach comes along, things change, and this talks about basically how Joey Chestnut is the Babe Ruth of... And by the way, I look forward to all of your emails, baseball nerds, about the actual number right. of yes. home runs that were hit. And I know, and I apologize in advance, we're but it was be a flooded. dramatic. It was a dramatic uptick. But I want to thank Carson Terbush for this great piece that took a deep dive onto hot dog, competitive hot dog eating. That's so good. That's the kind of Fourth of July content yes. that I'm here for. In other sports news, Hollywood Reporter says that. ESPN layoff, talking about the ESPN layoffs, ESPN is firing everybody. And I think the ESPN's product got so bad and so stilted, so much, so many panel shows and so much whatever. I'm sorry for journalists who are getting fired. Always. I've been there. But I got to say, Maybe the answer for ESPN is to get back to showing sports and not having opinion shows. If you turn on ESPN, what what I want ESPN to be is a safe place. And yes, there will be a lot of boner pill ads. And I understand that. And they're inescapable. And I've already dealt with that with my children. But I would like ESPN to be a place to turn on and get sports news and sometimes sports broadcasting. But instead... How many hours can you do on the NBA draft? I don't know how many hours they did on the NBA draft, but it was a lot of hours on the NBA draft. And analyzing it like it was a cable news channel, don't do that. Do something else. Chris? Yes. That brings us to our style section. You have such a good style section. Well, one out of two I'm a big fan of. What? You're wrong. You're crazy. You're crazier than Joy Reid. All right. First up, we have a fabulous Wall Street Journal piece. DC restaurant tries to fix politics one bland pasta at a time. Cafe Milano is rare neutral turf in partisan Washington where rivals actually talk. Despite the math food, the grown-ups at the ta- the grown-ups table. All right. I know you this like is Cafe an Milano. Exposé. I do like to go sit at the bar there. I've had lunch um, with you there. I know that it's We have? Yeah. Oh yeah, we did sit on the patio. Yeah. I forgot. Because it's honestly that was where this podcast it's a, it's was born. It's a forgettable restaurant. That pot, this podcast was born at Cafe Milano. It is a forgettable restaurant. <laughs> and, and Washington insiders describe the appeal as similar to a country club without the tennis pool or initiation fee. It's been compared to Rick's Cafe, the watering hole from Casablanca, and called the second White House cafeteria. This is like for those outside of D.C., just the spot where dinners always are. Dinners are frequently there. Lunch, I've recommended highly for lunch. If you're in Washington from out of town and you want to see 
you want a good shot to see people, get a table at Cafe Milano for lunch, and it, you'll get a lot of that. In the evening, the bar scene gets... I like the bar scene, but at like five because yeah, I'm yeah, in it's, bed. Bye. It's a it's more of a happy more of a happy hour bar scene, but this is a really well done piece that the Wall Street Journal deserves tons of credit for. And I don't think it's meh. I think it's actually I think the food at Cafe Milano's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. But it's not and the service fabulous. Is, and it's the, but the service is excellent, and service matters more for me. I, I would take seven food with 10 service before I'd take 10 food with seven service. I agree with you. That's the, this We're is what, point of agreement. Here, here's what two old people talking about going out sound like. Yeah. I like a place where they know me with good service. Okay. okay. My, the one that you made is from it's pretty good. National Treasure, Caitlin Flanagan writing at The Atlantic. The Harry and Meghan podcast will never get to hear. <laughs> and I love, I think Caitlin Flanagan's one of the funniest people writing. I think she's just fantastic. But Caitlin, so, and I think we talked here about the $400,000 an episode that they ended up getting for her ill-conceived, poorly yes. executed podcast series. So Caitlin had some suggestions for what else, what, what are some other podcasts that they could have done that they missed out on? Would you like to read any of the women's? For these are these are for these are for Meghan Markle. Yes. Armed vulnerability: How twenty-four hour private security can make you more open to feelings. Two girls talking. Meghan and Gwyneth get real about Italian Vogue. Scotus shot clock. Alan Dershowitz, Gloria Allred, and Dua Lipa explain why <laughs> Justice Brandeis believed in the right to be let alone. Suits reunion part one. This is the best one. This is so good. This candle smells like my prenup. SCOTUS shot clock. Kelly Clarkson and former Princess Tessie of Luxembourg discuss Marbury v. Madison and Louis Vuitton's Keep All 55. That's good. Harry's content ideas. Animals. Tall things and short things ruined by climate change. Slacks. Conversations with Obama, if available. Conversations with Tony Blair, if no Obama. Conversations with Liz Truss, confirmed. Mediocrity. What is it and how do you spell it? And I think I'm still in love with Chelsea Davey. And I just, it's its so good. And I love you, Caitlin Flanagan. Chris, that brings us to our Obsessions of the Week. Obsessed. Where we break down the stories that we can't get out of our heads. All right. Oh, this Mine is, yeah. was this New York Times style piece about Ms. Rachel as the parent of an 18-month-old. I cannot tell you. Rachel Accurso is this woman's name. She's a YouTube star. Okay. If you have babies or toddlers, this woman is a phenomenon. Can we hear so this some? Store, yes. Th this story is about her and she exploded during COVID. The YouTube star of Songs for Littles, an on online video series that pulls millions of views, says she's found her calling in encouraging children to speak. I want to hear a clip. Okay. Let's play a clip. Let's call out Mommy, and maybe the Mommy Cow will hear us and come over. Mommy starts with M. M makes this sound. 
I want to say, I think Bill Murray in Groundhog Day said it best here, which is, gosh, you're an upbeat lady. She is a real upbeat gal. She is incredible. I just cannot tell you the response from, and I've heard from other parents that she's totally mesmerizing for kids. I believe so that. So I just want to read from this article. Okay. Ms. Griffin Accurso left teaching full-time to be with her son. Around his first birthday, she noticed that he was behind on key milestones, particularly concerning speech. His mouth wasn't connecting to his brain, she said. The couple sought speech pathology services, but Ms. Griffin Accurso wanted to supplement his learning. Her search turned up dry, so she started making videos. She filmed close-ups of her mouth to show the pronunciation of words and recorded her versions of children's songs, making sure to incorporate voice, sign language, and visuals. She also recorded music classes that she taught in person, and the couple posted the videos to YouTube. They figured it wouldn't hurt if others found them helpful. The videos struck a chord. It makes so much sense to everyone else, but to me, it feels accidental, she said of her success. And so you, that was you my approve. favorite piece. You I like totally her. approve. It's amazing. So, all right. So you you are obsessed. Your daughter is obsessed. It's amazing. Every, my your household is obsessed. Totally obsessed. All right. Well, my obsession was <clears throat> this article written by Molly Hennessy Fisk of the Washington Post. And you know it's going to be a doozy when you get a comma in the in a comma clause at the beginning of an article like this. An unlikely provocateur, Miss Texas, takes on the state's GOP leaders. Now, when I tell you that news coverage of beauty pageants is bad and should not be done, I mean it. I don't think that you should. I don't think. I think you could cover. Who won the Miss America pageant? I think you could probably do an interesting scene piece. You could probably do like a long form journalism piece about like what it's like to be in Miss Universe or whatever. I don't know. But this is making a beauty pageant political. And the the main problem here is that it's so amazingly hackneyed. So you have a story in which... The Miss Texas is named, I want to get her name here, Avery Bishop. So Avery Bishop is Miss Texas, which is, again, a beauty queen. She is given this award for being attractive, <laughs> is what you get the award for, and poised also, and well-spoken well as part of your poise and all of that, and I understand. But the Washington Post wrote this glowing piece about her. In March, she posted about the need for comprehensive sex education and mourned the 50th anniversary of Roe v. Wade, the abortion precedent abandoned by the court. In May, she posted videos touting the need for affordable health and reproductive care. The fact that Bishop has professed her liberal views on race, abortion, immigration, voting, same-sex marriage, school shootings, and comprehensive sex education, which Texas public schools don't require may not be surprising considering she's 26. What is startling is that Bishop has spoken out while competing for and as Miss Texas. This per the perch has normally been occupied by apolitical women. But in Bishop's case, the pageant queen has used it to push back against far-right policies supported by Texas's here's your key phrase, white male leaders. When I, I, I 
it is my obsession, not because I want this to be more fair. I don't want this article to be more fair. I don't want this. I don't want Molly Hennessy Fisk to now write a follow up piece about the the fact that the women she was talking about before probably were not apolitical, probably had political views of their own, but didn't think that the institution, such as it may be, of Miss Texas was the right venue for being a political agitator. There are probably lots of women who have been Miss Texas who are very conservative, who probably have very different views on these issues. So I do not want Molly Hemingway, Hennessy Fisk to go write a piece about the conservative views of the women before. I want people to stop putting the chocolate in the peanut butter. Oh, that sounds good. Well, but you you know yeah, that, know. that you know what I mean, which is let politics be politics. Let beauty pageants, such as they may be, be beauty pageants and leave it alone. Stop putting these things together. Stop, stop, stop. Please, I beg of you, all of you, please stop inserting politics into things that are not politics because you're poisoning everything. All right. Harumph. That brings us to my favorite time of the week. Oh, yay. Which is reader mail. And our first note is from Robin Moore, second generation Southerner from Oxford, Michigan. And Robin writes, hi, Eliana. I'm wondering if you catch Bethany Frankel's YouTube videos. Oh, dear. I love that she does these reviews of high-end cosmetics, skincare versus drugstore dupes. Do you? Um, let me finish. Let me finish. And Chris, LOL, I wanted to I want to ask if you have ever heard any of your older relatives say some of the following. Rurnt rhymes with burnt, ruined after hearing Eliana say ruined. Twick. <laughs> uh, she says twice like iced equals twice. Oh yeah, twice like iced equals twice. Right. Twice. Twice. Right. Karn, I'm not even sure how to spell it, but it, it sounds like key yarn. Key yarn equals something gross. Haint equals a ghost. And the phrase coming up a cloud equals storm is coming. Oh, that's a good one. So coming up a cloud, I've heard, and a more common one, getting ready to rain to beat hell was a common one. Or showing silver. Have you ever heard showing no. silver? So if the What's leaves that? blow up, so if there's a, when the, right before it rains, the in the summertime, the leaves turn up and you can see the bottom side and the trees look silver, that's... That's a common one. A haint. I know a haint. A haint is a ghost. It's from haunt. I've never heard kiarn for something gross. And I have, but not commonly heard twist or ice twist twice for twice. But root is definitely a thing that you, things, things have been root, which is different from your ruined. Yes. But root is R and she has R U N T. I I would I would spell it R U I N T. It's ruint. It's root. I have definitely heard that one. But I want to know about Bethany Frankel's YouTube. I love knew it. these reviews. I knew it. Love them. And I don't even know how you knew because she does do these reviews of like very expensive makeup versus drugstore. And they're so good. And she's super rich, so she doesn't need to lie. She's not, like, paid by the brands. And we need to play, Colin, let's play a clip of one of her reviews. These are drugstore products I think you'll like that no one's talking about. This is e.l.f. Tone Adjusting Face Primer. Comes out in a purple color. 
So that's why it's gonna like just adjust your tone. It's not effectively a corrector, but it's gonna calm down discoloration. But I don't really have discoloration and I used it and it's got a creamy, blurry, hydrating effect. All right. Yeah, she is, she's so funny. And also she just went postal on some airport lounge and she was like, videoing in the soup containers like there was no soup and the pretzels were all broken i love her anyways you know you're getting the truth she's so rich she doesn't need to like she's be a on former the housewife yes but she had a really successful business which was these skinny girl cocktails that right. were all these cocktails with you know lower sugar yeah, 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 yeah so she has this empire bethany frankel you love keep doing the youtubes please you and robin moore and i liked her closing packs Peace be unto you. Also, Robin Moore, second-generation Southerner who is now residing in Oxford, Michigan. Up next, hi, Eliana and Chris. Came across this evening briefing of Bloomberg and was struck by the shamelessly biased framing. And note how M. Rovella avoids taking any detail about the affirmative action case. Love your podcast. And best wishes from London from Tristan. Oh, hello. Ooh. Oh, I say. Oh, quite so. Um, Rather and- swishy to have a London re-listener. That's quite so. So here's the Bloomberg Evening Briefing brought to you by Upway. Donald Trump may no longer be U.S. president, but for the second year in a row, he has indirectly provided the Republican Party with historic victories on deeply divisive issues. With the help of Trump's three appointees, the Supreme Court's conservative supermajority ended its term last year by canceling federal abortion rights. Whoa. Severely limiting environmental regulation and loosening gun laws. This year, the trio was central to the court's closing trifecta of rightward rulings that, as in 2022, arguably ran counter to the beliefs of a majority of Americans or reversed decades of what legal scholars considered settled law. Wow. I was at the beginning, I was like, oh, this is actually a framing that you didn't get to see much of, which was talking about how these decisions help Donald Trump in the Republican primaries, right? Because he can point to his justices. So I thought, okay, so maybe that's the framing It's also amazing when it says, the trio was central to the court's closing trifecta of rightward rulings that ran counter to the beliefs of a majority of Americans, blah, blah. Which is Uh, not true. Affirmative action ruling was quite popular. Yeah. 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 Affirmative action is unpopular. And it's interesting. We always do it, and I I have a real weakness, and Nate Moore will attest to this, I have a real weakness for finding historical parallels, and the more obscure they are, the more I am drawn to them. Like, actually, this is a Millard, I think I did have a Millard Fillmore reference in my note last week. So the more, more obscure that they are, the more I am drawn to them. But in the coverage of these most recent decisions on affirmative action what were the what were the trio affirmative action the student loans student and loans. the create three i think it was the 303 the free speech case maybe something on guns apparently too i don't know but the uh, on those things the knee jerk reaction was this will be like the road decision and by the way the a note to the, oh, I guess the person he's criticizing. Oh, no, David Ravella wrote this. And a note to David Ravella is that the did not, there there was no federal abortion rule, right? That was the point. There, it wasn't like legislation. But anyway, unlike the Roe decision, this one is 
does not trigger all of these other political consequences. So, so much of the coverage I saw said, here we go again. It's going to be just like Roe. And I don't think that's true at all. Not only does the affirmative action case cut both ways, but also these are just less central issues. These are these are less at the at the heart of the national discussion. Chris, that brings us to your favorite time of the week. Where I am forced to say something nice, it is favorite items, but you are going to lead by example. My favorite item comes to you from CTV News, and happy belated Canada Day to all our Canadian listeners. And this is out of Calgary. Unexploded bombs among dangers for nude trespassers, Calgary First Nation says. So I just want to thank CTV News for providing this insight for folks at home that if you want to be a nude sunbather, trespassing in the territory, if you, if you want to sunbathe nude in the territory of indigenous peoples, remember, you could be exploded. But if you wear pants, you'll be fine. If you stumble across unexploded ordinance from the past, as long as you have your pants on, you will be fine. My favorite item easily was this great New York Times story by Katie Rogers, Hunter Biden's daughter and a tale of two families. The story surrounding the president's grandchild in Arkansas, who has not yet met her father or her grandfather, is about money, corrosive politics, and what it means to have the Biden birthright. And it contained this incredible detail. I really thought that the Times did the story justice, actually. And Katie Rogers writes about Biden. His public image is centered around his devotion to his family, including to Hunter, his only surviving son. Next sentence. In strategy meetings in recent years, aides have been told that the Bidens have six, not seven grandchildren, according to two people familiar with the discussions. Talk about twisting the knife and showing rather than telling in your news coverage. Yeah. Amazing piece. Highly recommend it. Really does bring out the the president's hypocrisy in his treatment of this little girl who has been used as a political football. So I, I highly recommend that piece. Well, and good for Katie Rogers, and and this is a a, a piece, this is a piece worth doing, and good for you for bringing it to our That's attention. Great. Well said. Well done. That is all the time we have for the news about the news. If you have a story you want us to talk about, email us at wretches at nebulouspodcasts.com and sign up for our newsletter at nebulouspodcasts.com. This has been Ink Stained Wretches from Nebulous Media, produced by Colin Chicola. Find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five, or if six. not six, yeah. star review. Just search for Wretches. Wretches.